Real Fun DC. Hospitality and a little bit of sass are always on the menu. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Industry Night on Real Fun DC. I'm your host, Nikki Nellis. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, if it's the first time checking in on the show, uh, let me introduce myself. I am Nikki Nellis. Uh, I have been covering the DC food and wine scene for over 18 years. Now, you may have heard me on WTOP radio, and you may see me every now and again on local television, but uh, you definitely hear me every Sunday on Food and the Beast on 1500. Uh, 12 years in running, my husband and I host the only food and wine variety show in the DC metro area. Uh, you should definitely be following me at NYCCI-N-E-L-L-I-S on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, where it all began, the list areyouonit.com. It's an online e-zine. It blasts out to over 40,000 subscribers. And we list every food and wine event happening in the DC metro area. We also keep track on every single opening and restaurants coming soon. And of course we have a tremendous buzz column that is always keeping you updated on the latest and greatest. So a couple things to that point. First of all, are you dining out yet? If you're not, whether you're vaccinated or not, I am vaccinated, yay. Uh, but there are so many terrific places that have opened and there are amazing patios. We have a whole section called Patio Pleasures about all the launches of patios that are happening in and around the DC metro area. Um, and you should really visit the new places, but don't forget to visit the mainstays. So this week I hit two. I checked out the new Duck and the Peach on Capitol Hill, and it's totally glorious. And then last night I was at Le Diplomat, and I ordered the lobster frites. And I posted a picture on my Insta story and people kept asking me if it was a secret dish because they've never had it. And I don't know where any of you have been, but the lobster frites are by far the only thing to order at Le Diplomat. I mean, don't get me wrong, Le Diplomat has a great menu, but those lobster frites is basically half a lobster drowned in butter and garlic and French fries. So um, there you go, you can thank me or, um, you know, don't tell your cardiologist later, one or the other. Also, don't forget, brunch is back. DC is a brunch in town, and it is delicious here. Places like Albion, I Egg You, the new Las Gemelas, Brasserie Liberté, and Tammy are just a small sample of all the delicious places to have brunch. We have the entire list on the site. And as I do on every show, a reminder, you need to support area restaurants and local retail. Uh, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but it doesn't mean it's over yet. So if you're not comfortable dining in yet, please order takeout or order takeout for a friend. It's a great uh, birthday gift or just a hi, I love you gift. Uh, also, uh, just reminder, you know, you can do neighborhood drops. There's lots of great ways to engage with area restaurants. Um, and actually later in the show, we're going to have a really good one for you. So one thing this pandemic has made abundantly clear is that our outside space is absolutely sacred. And if you have a yard, maybe you had a table or a grill or a kiddie pool just to sort of keep your feet cool in the summer. But now we all realize that that outdoor space can be an entire extension of our homes um, and really a way to show off your aesthetic. 
Now, this is not only for the rich and famous, but it does help, of course, if you have buku buffs. Uh, but anyone can create an outdoor space. And it really is not just for like late spring and summer. It's really usable all year long. So I have gathered, uh, with some help from Heather Freeman PR, uh, a group of experts to help us all attain a goal of being outside as long as possible. So first is Jessica Petrino from AJ Madison, the appliance specialist in the DC metro area, lighting specialist Reed Libby from Affordable Sprinkle, uh, Affordable Sprinkles, and landscape architect Robert Bell of Bell Design Inc. So, but first. Kevin Tian. Now, Chef Tian broke out on the scene several years ago with his amazing restaurant, Himitsu. Um, he is now behind the stove at the Moon Rabbit, which he opened in the middle of the pandemic. Whole other story. Um, but he has really been an ally and for a lot of causes in the DC metro area. I host Chefs for Equality. He has been there for years. Um, but all the charities that happen all around the city, you can bet Kevin is always at them, donating his time, donating food and et cetera. But now it's time for us to listen to Kevin. Um, and he and I are gonna talk today about his experience about being an Asian American and what that's like today, especially with everything going on. And he has put together an amazing, amazing fundraiser uh, that I actually am participating in. I'm getting it this weekend uh, and he's joining us today. So Kevin, hey, how are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for having really, me. Oh, I really appreciate you coming in. So, you know, for people who don't know you, I don't know why they don't know you because everybody should know you, but can you talk about just a little bit about your uh, involvement in the DC dining scene? Yeah, uh, like you said, I kind of got uh, a following when I was at Himitsu and Petworth with Carly. Mm -hmm. uh, we had this very tiny restaurant is right around 900 square feet, uh, but we did a lot of like really cool like magic there. And I think everyone always had a great time when they came. Uh, Without a doubt, it was one of my favorites. And then uh, I opened another restaurant after that, uh, which uh, closed during COVID. And then Carly uh, had Himitsu become Pom Pom, which also closed during COVID. You know, uh, mm -hmm. this has been tough on the industry as a whole. Uh, but you know, we're all finding ways to to move on and and utilize our time. Right. And so how did you wind up at Moon Rabbit, which is in the former Kip and Kin space? Yeah, so I'm at Moon Rabbit now. Uh, I was trying to figure out like my next move uh, after Emily's and the mm -hmm. hotel uh, had a space to offer me to just kind of cook my own food and tell my story of like being a Vietnamese American and doing my grandma's recipes. You know, mm -hmm. uh, Kwame was here and he got to tell his story and his family's uh, recipes and their history uh, and just being in the same space uh, that Kwame was in was, is very inspiring and is very inspiring. I bet. So how are you telling that story at Moon Rabbit? Yeah I'm taking a lot of like the traditional like flavors in Vietnamese food but I'm mm -hmm. presenting them in a very different way right uh, so it's kind of like at Himitsu we were doing Japanese-esque food but we we're presenting a lot of those flavor profiles in like very fun ways I'm doing the same here, uh, but mainly with like Vietnamese and Southeast Asian flavors. And so for people who haven't had the luxury of being in yet, can you give us some examples of what that looked like for you and 
and what what sort of ingredients you're using that may not be traditional, you know, that your grandmother wouldn't have used, but you're using. Yeah. Uh, so one of the dishes. So I'll I'll tell you the my favorite, most fun one. And uh, so uh, when we my family moved here to America, like one of the things we would do to be more American was like nothing's more American than like eating a hamburger. And for us, it was mm -hmm. like eating hamburgers from McDonald's. That's like the for us, it's like the iconic, like American, uh, like brand. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of my, I mean, things... I just want to say for the record, that is really sad, but go ahead. No judgment, <laughs> just a little judgment, a little judgment, but go ahead. But, uh, you know, and also being from like Louisiana, uh, where there's a lot of Catholic Vietnamese, uh, like around Lent, McDonald's has like the filet of fish. Mm -hmm. So I love the filet of fish. So we put like a Vietnamese version of the filet of fish on our menu. Uh, there's a dish called uh, Jack Gat Long Boom, which is like a turmeric and dill, uh, like wok charred fish dish. Mm -hmm. uh, so we took like local Maryland blue catfish and we're marinating it in like lemongrass and turmeric. Uh, and then we're frying in breadcrumbs and we're making a sandwich on a house-made curry bun. And then we make our own tartar sauce with like cornichons, lots of dill, and we lightly smoke it. So you Yum. get like all the flavors of like a traditional Vietnamese dish, but it's in the package of like a very fancy filet of fish. That is brilliant. I love that. Um, well, I so I did order. I'm picking up Moon Rabbit this weekend, but I have read the menu now and realized you're not making anything on that menu. But obviously, you can't participate in everything that you're doing. Can we tell everybody um, sort of your your family's experience to to the states? And um, just like what the last six, you know, the last year with the pandemic, but all this sort of aggression towards um, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, you know, how that's affected you. And, but I mean, the silver lining is the launch of this project you're doing. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, uh, my family came, immigrated from Vietnam, like right after the war and they came over on a, like a military visa. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and like most people that come to, the U.S. were in search of like a better life uh, to kind of like get that American dream, you know, and I would say that it was very hard for uh, my family, and I'm sure like a lot of people have similar experiences, but when you like don't know the language, you know, you oftentimes like try to move to a community where there are others like you and understand you, and then it's slowly like, uh, like assimilating into the culture and like learning the culture, like for example, like oh, for us to be American and be accepted as American, we should eat more hamburgers and McDonald's. Right. Right. Uh, but I would say a lot of the times you do these things to be American, it's, you know, uh, say the pledge and you learn all about civics and free enterprise and you do things that like the American way, but it doesn't matter kind of like what we do to prove to everyone that we're American because on the outside to a lot of people, we don't, we won't look American. And, you know, that's been like really unfair and hard for, for a lot of, of like AAPI people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, you know, uh, I think the AAPI community contributes a lot to like the US uh, in all sorts of ways. Uh, and then like growing up, it's always been hard for me, even though I was a first generation Asian American being born in the US, mm -hmm. right? My family, my first language was Vietnamese, right? Because uh, that's all my family spoke. But when I started school, 
it was the transition of like learning English and they pushed me to speak only English. And actually for your, fa of, your family or the school? My family. Interesting. You know, uh, so I wouldn't, you know, get picked on by other kids or I wouldn't stand out. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my family raised me to be very, uh, like, other than like quotations, American, right? Right. Uh, and in doing so, you know, I forgot Vietnamese over time and I like learned it, picked it back up again in like, uh, like high school and college. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was really just like, so, you know, we wouldn't get picked on, but it didn't matter, like I was saying, because even growing up in California, I would love playing outside with my sister, but we stopped doing that because we were, people would come by in the front yard or walk by the house and yell, you know, derogatory stuff at us and like mm -hmm. racial slurs. Uh, so it wasn't even safe for us to like play outside. So we were always inside as kids. I uh, mean, it's, 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 it's a terrible story, but it's a shame that it's taken to now for these stories to come to light. You know, yeah. I mean, it, I don't feel that the, um, the Asian community has really shared or, or, or hasn't shared with me. Right. So, I mean, as right. a white person, like I, and I have a diverse group of friends, but I, I didn't know until what I saw what's been happening this year, um, which, you know, was aggravated, um, you know, specifically because of, you know, who was in office at the time, but, um, mm -hmm. but I, it's so important that these stories get told and that we hear them and that we do whatever we can to eradicate it. Right. So yeah, let, let's talk about this fundraiser that you put together. Cause it's really massive. I, I'm like, I, I don't even know how you're executing it. Cause it, takes a lot to do something like this. Yeah, absolutely. It uh, it started off with a so solo uh, idea and dinner uh, mm -hmm. from Kylie McGraney, uh, Mission mm -hmm. Michelin. Yeah. You know, she called up a few, uh, some AAPI chefs and said, hey, let's do a takeout dinner because she's so used to organizing like supper clubs and such. Uh, she's and, like, very, very, she is so good at it. She is so good. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, so sh she gave us the idea for the first one and then after that, I kept thinking about like the increasing violence. And I was like, how much, we'll make like a small difference obviously by raising some money from doing one, but as like a Asian person and a chef mm -hmm. that has like a platform here in DC where like people listen and you know we get the opportunity to, to talk about this on, on different shows like yours, uh, you know, there's a responsibility to, to speak up, you know? And Tim, Eric, Brian Yang and mm -hmm. I, and we talked about it and we're like, we have to do more, right? Like, I mean, you know, like Tim Ma and Eric Brunner, I like the three of you, but like Eric Brunner Yang could be like, Eric, I feel like if you listen to my shows, both my shows regularly, it Eric Brunner Yang, like you would be drunk by the end of the show because his name gets said so often. Do you know what I mean? That guy has, a, I <laughs> love him. He has his fingers in so many pots, but like, he's such a, he's such a doer. And I just love that about him. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, I've been hearing this like a lot recently. It's like everyone needs to like do more. And that isn't just like for people who are like non-AIP or non-VIPOC. I think like everyone should do more and do as much as they can. Right. I think if we mm -hmm. take a long time to do or say anything, uh, it'll, 
it'll be a long time before this America becomes like the country that we all like want it to be and we all hope it to be and what it should be, right? What we what we really represent to like uh, to everyone else and like why immigrants come here. Well, it's an amazing endeavor. Can you tell everybody a little bit about this endeavor and how they can get involved? Yeah, absolutely. So we're doing dinners every single Sunday where you can order to go. It's five courses uh, and you order through talk, chef stopping a PI hate. Uh, five different chefs every Sunday. So one pickup location. So you'll come to Moon Rabbit, pick up your meal and you'll get a amazing five course dinner from five different chefs. Uh, it'll, it goes for 150, it's enough food to feed two. Uh, and we're donating all the profits to Chef Stop, uh, Stopping AAPI Hate and Rise Now. Um, that's, uh, it's incredible. I'm picking up uh, this weekend, the show airs afterwards, but I'm really looking forward to it. You've got every chef in the DC area is participating. I think you have like 45 chefs, which is, uh, I mean, I'm not surprised. I mean, the DC, the DC hospitality scene is, I think the most giving in the country, you know, maybe I'm a little biased, but you know, if you, if I text somebody to participate, they're all like, yeah, you know, I mean, so I think it's great. Kevin, I'm going to have to wrap up and take a commercial break. Um, I'm, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story with us. And I just, I know what it's like to put a fundraiser together. It's an incredible endeavor. I just love how you all are executing it. I'm so excited to participate this weekend. Um, and I hope I can bring you back on one of the other shows soon. All right, that sounds great. Thank you so much, thank you. Thank you. Okay, this is Nikki Nellis, Industry Night on Real Fun DC. I'll be back in just a sec. It's Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. And we're back on Industry Night on Real Fun DC with Nikki Nellis. Uh, really incredible talk with Kevin Tian. If you're just joining me now, please check out uh, the beginning of the show. And uh, if you haven't donated yet for uh, Chefs Stopping AAPIHate.com, please check it out. It is an amazing endeavor. And I do want to remind you, you can also just donate. You don't have to get a dinner. You can also donate to the cause or Embrace Race, another amazing organization. We talked about it last week with uh, Chef Danny um, Lee. Uh, two amazing organizations that are doing what they can to eradicate uh, racism against Asian American and Pacific Islanders. Okay, so totally changing gears. Now we're gonna talk about something that I'm obsessed with and that is anything that has to do with making my space prettier. And, um, you know, COVID-19 has really been a catalyst for homeowners, especially when it comes to creating new outdoor living spaces, whether it's for entertaining or just living with the family. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I had uh, Jessica Petrino from AJ Madison on the show on Foodie and the Beast. And she was telling us about all these fabulous outdoor kitchen appliances. And I was like, oh my God, I need to know more about this. So then we came up with this idea of sort of putting together a whole group of people who can help make or break your outdoor space. So uh, we're gonna start with Jessica from AJ Madison, but later in the show, we'll be talking with landscape architect, Robert Bell of Bell Design and lighting specialist, Reed Libby. Okay, Jessica, thank you so much for joining me again. Thank you so much for having me. 
Absolutely. So for people who haven't had the pleasure of checking out AJ Madison, can you give us a little 411? Sure. Uh, so AJ Madison is a family-owned company. Uh, we have two retail showrooms, uh, one in Tyson's Corner of Virginia uh, and the other in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and actually, AJ Madison ships appliances nationwide. So if you live in throughout the continental U.S. or you have a second home somewhere else, uh, you can certainly um, speak with our whole team of appliance experts. We have an extensive selection of home appliances, including indoor kitchen, laundry, and a gigantic selection of outdoor appliances that I'm really excited to share with you today. Well, so I think for a lot of people, they're like outdoor appliances. I mean, if you're not, you know, looking at the latest sort of architectural digest to see, you know, like the bazillionaire homes with these fabulous outdoor kitchens. Um, but I do remember when you were on the show uh, on Foodie and the Beast, you talked about like dishwashers for the outdoors. And my husband was like, that's stupid. I was like, no, it's not. That sounds amazing. I totally get that. <laughs> So can you walk people through the like the change in appliances? Because 20 years ago, people were not building outdoor kitchens. Absolutely. So I'm going to step back one second to, to COVID. So, you know, in having engaged in a lot of these projects, pre-COVID, the outdoor living space sometimes was considered a little bit more of an afterthought. It was like a phase two thing. Uh, mm -hmm. where people were going to do the inside of their house, and eventually maybe they would add a grill to the backyard. Um, but in 2020, outdoor living was no longer a seasonal category. Uh, this interest in outdoor living really, really expanded. And we're finding that people are asking us about outdoor kitchen appliances all year round. So I think with outdoor gatherings and outdoor entertaining as our new normal, um, we're really, really seeing a lot more interest than ever before. Now, um, outdoor living and outdoor areas, you know, we're, it's not just for gigantic sprawling mansions. Um, you can really achieve a really nice, beautiful outdoor kitchen space with as little as about four to six feet. So you don't necessarily have to have like sprawling gardens, um, and many many clients do, but you really can achieve a beautiful, functional outdoor kitchen space. And there are a plethora of appliances that really can fit every single space and budget. And so, what are some of those? Like, what aside from the grill, right? Like, I know that's the main. Most people think outdoors; they think grill. But it's gone so much further than that. So what are you what are we seeing as far as like what's really exciting for the outdoor space? Oh, I'm so excited. Um, we're we're seeing a I know that's much, why I love talking to you. It's so much fun. We're we're seeing a much greater variety of appliances. And of course, many outdoor kitchens have a grill. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying that hamburgers and hot dogs are gonna go away anytime soon, but we are seeing a much wider variety of home appliances for the outdoors that cater to more cooking styles. So whether you're doing a lot of round-bottomed wok cooking, you can get a burner that can accommodate a round-bottom pan that's very powerful. If you're interested in doing 
flat top cooking, we're seeing a ton of brittle installations uh, for everything from kind of hibachi style cooking to toasted paninis. Um, pizza ovens have been a really, really hot trending appliance this, this year. And a pizza oven is not necessarily just for pizza. Of course, pizza is amazing, especially if you can make artisan style ones at home, but you could also use a pizza oven to do baked cookies. You could do a turkey in there. Like, there's so okay, much can we, variety. Can we, so what does a pizza oven look like? Like in my head, I'm thinking of, you know, like some of the better pizza places in town that have these massive like brick wood fired pizza ovens. I mean, is that what we're talking about on a smaller scale? So there's a variety of products out there. Uh, mm -hmm. Certainly some people do decide to build a, a wood fired big dome like you would see in a pizza restaurant. That mm -hmm. Some people build that. Um, however, it can take a little bit longer to heat up, and there are more products available today that can really satisfy smaller spaces. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in particular, uh, the top seller this year has been the Lynx Napoli oven. It's, it looks kind of like a stainless steel hearth, and it's actually gas-powered. So mm -hmm. you can get really up to close to 700 degrees in a couple of minutes so that you can start churning out pizzas really quickly. Uh, so it's really, really kind of a party pleaser. Um, and you can really expand your outdoor entertaining menu beyond your tra traditional um, Well, but uh, so can you also cook or bake breads in that? Oh, certainly. So I mean, because really, I think to me, like yeah. with the sourdough explosion, like everybody was baking breads. Um, but like, so to me, the ability to use an outdoor sort of, you know, pizza oven that totally changes what you're baking and how you're baking it. Now, if it's gas fired, does that take away from the, I don't know, the char or whatever it, you would get from that normally? So you can really impart some amazing flavor. Mm -hmm. um, the kind of the, the refractory kind of dome shape of the pizza oven uh, really does a really good good job of heat retention. Um, there are, if you really, really want to have that wood fire experience, there are a couple of brands that also offer kind of that wood fired option. Um, mm -hmm. Another another great thing that I'm seeing is I'm seeing a lot of ceramic grills are really popular. Those can also emulate an oven function, um, mm. and that can take charcoal. Um, some of the built-in gas grills have a kind of like a container that goes underneath the grates where you can put uh, wood chips. So if you're really looking to impart like that, that hickory um, mm -hmm. you know, flavor, uh, you can certainly do that. Uh, we're seeing a lot of smokers um, and just more variety so that people can really customize their outdoor appliances to, to fit their taste. Um, so I assume that you're also putting refrigerator. If you're putting in dishwashers, you're putting in refrigerators, right? So like, yeah. how does that work outside? How, how are you, so, are you helping people lay it out? Like, how does that work? So generally, at least from my experience, what happens is the client is going to be working with um, a landscape architect, a general contractor, a lighting designer, they're going to have a team of people that they assemble and the appliance specialist is a, a part of that team. Um, mm -hmm. And typically what will happen is the building professional will send the clients 
or they'll contact us directly, but they'll generally send the clients to go shopping and to pick out mm -hmm. the appliances that they want them to incorporate inside of the outdoor kitchen. Then from there, they work to incorporate those appliances into permanent uh, structures, outdoor rated cabinetry or a hardscape. Now, mm -hmm. we generally, when I meet with clients, I certainly want to get a sense for their space and their needs, but I like to kind of cover four different categories. Cooking is obviously one of them. Um, refrigeration, at the very least, I recommend adding a refrigerator to your outside space. Mm -hmm. um, but there are so many cool products out there, like for outdoor wine storage, um, kegerators that could either dispense beer or wine. Um, we're seeing a lot of freezers that are really great for spirits, but also for popsicles and ice cream to keep it mm -hmm. near where you're entertaining. Um, and uh, outdoor ice makers. So refrigeration is super, super important, and there are many, many options for for that. Yeah. Okay. So. I, we have only touched the tip of the iceberg, but I got to move on. So we're going to come okay. back to you later in the show. But right now, we're going to bring in uh, Robert Bell. Um, I feel like you gave us a really good segue because he is a landscape architect. Hi, Robert. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so thrilled to have you on. Um, we did chat the other day, and I was really just sort of jazzed about our conversation. So um, can you tell everybody just a little bit about yourself, about uh, Bell Design, what you do, um, and how you got into it? Because you have a you have an impressive resume. Oh, well, thank you. That's very nice of you to say. Um, well, I went to school uh, for landscape architecture. I did an undergraduate degree at Cornell University in upstate New York, and then I came down to DC. I worked at a uh, firm here called Uma Van Sweden and Associates. Uh, they do a lot of residential and high-end kind of commercial uh, work, retail and um, uh, mall sorts of things. And then I went off my own in 2008, and I've done a lot of work with hospitality in the Washington DC area, um, residential again, and we do quite a lot of things in the city. So urban properties, smaller row house type things. We do a lot of roof decks and rooftops. Uh, we do a lot of outdoor kitchens in limited spaces. And then we do estate type work as well outside the city. So things with more space and um, master plans for, for larger estates and pool areas, things like that too, where we also incorporate you know, outdoor kitchens. Well, so let's talk about the role of a landscape architect because for some people that may sound too massive, like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't have anything to draw. You know, they don't understand what it is you actually do. You know what I mean? Like, so can you explain how somebody would hire you and what services you would provide for them? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, people, uh, certainly when I was growing up, you didn't hear landscape architect as a job that you could ever do. So it was new to me. Um, I grew up on a, a farm on the Eastern shore of Maryland and um, I liked gardening, I liked design, and sort of I fell into the into the major and then into the industry. Um, what the landscape architect does in general would be to design anything outside of a home. So it could be from, um, I think, anything outside the building envelope itself, but even then that's a little bit of a gray area. Um, we do things on rooftops, like I said, we do anything outdoors, we plan spaces. So if um, you have any space outside of your home that requires some sort of thought going into it, um, that's what we would do. So we can design terraces, uh, walls, um, uh, all sorts of things that involve 
uh, engineering, um, any um, anything that requires utility connections, grading, site grading, if you have a tricky slope or things like that. Um, so it's really a, a very broad uh, sort of um, a sort of industry or sort of profession, which makes it super interesting because you can do things at different scales. Like I said, we do small city projects in little tiny spaces that are almost like jewel boxes, little puzzles. We have to kind of fit 18 things into a little a little space, or we do large things, you know, where we're siting uh, driveways or you know creating landforms and horse farms and things like that. So. It really, it's it's a very uh, diverse uh, profession, like I said. But it's um, as if you have something outside your home that you're not sure about, um, call landscape architect. Well, to that point, um, and thinking about what Jessica was talking about with the appliances, so you would be the one who would come to say, like my house, and uh, you know, say, okay, Nikki. This is how we can build an outdoor kitchen as a part of your outdoor, you know, outdoor living experience. So how do you incorporate a grill and a refrigerator and a freezer and, uh, you know, a, a, a pizza oven? Like there's a lot of components there. How do you incorporate all that into your design? So, I mean, COVID has made everyone sort of go outdoors, which I think, of course, personally is wonderful for, for everyone, but um, it's made us sort of look at our spaces and say, what do we want to do out there? Do we have enough room for X or Y or Z? Um, working with Jessica, it's super helpful for, when I, I'm not an expert on any of the actual equipment. So I always rely on someone who knows how big it is, what the hookups could be like, um, you know, the dimensions and, and all the specs for that the um, very important things that go into actually constructing it. But I can help a client say, okay, we would like a grill and a refrigerator and we would like a pizza oven. We have a relatively defined space. You know, we have a gas connection from the house here. Um, we would like to enclose it in something really lovely. We have an existing terrace and it's bluestone, but we really want to have a special material for the new countertops. We would also like it sort of a pergola, some kind of structure over it because, you know, our climate is not, uh, I work mostly in the mid-Atlantic, but also in Florida and other, and other places as well, but we don't always have the beautiful California climate. <laughs> so what can we do to make this as usable and functional as possible? So picking um, a top three priorities with people, you know, we want to be outdoors nine months a year. We want to have a grill and a wine, um, wine storage or cooler of some kind, and then Mm -hmm. Jessica would help me sort of specify within that range what kind of grill, gas grill, size, price point, wines, how many, how big is the wine storage, and then we sort of make it pretty. We put it into a package that kind of is an extension of the home a lot of times, or um, an extension of something outdoors like a shed or a, a completely freestanding unit, and we make it, you know, attractive and integrated into the landscape. Well, so I'm sort of curious, like cabinetry. Um, how do you use, like, we're in, we're in the DC area. I mean, that's where the show is, is centralized. So, um, you know, it rains, it's hot, it's humid, it's then really cold. So, um, how do you buy things that don't a rust or, you know, warp or things of that nature? Um, so, and so that it's also aesthetically attractive. Great question. Um, we have uh, lots and lots of selections of materials depending on on the look, right? So um, often for outdoors, we will do a, a stone uh, material, um, either clad the cabinetry in stone, 
Um, I also do wood. We do teak uh, and epay and things like that. Um, for we, we generally always want either a stainless steel countertop or um, a, a, a stone of some kind. You, know, you can do bluestone or granite or things like that. Ease of maintenance is always key to me um, when you are specifying things for outdoors. Like you said, we do get dirt and we get salt and we get you know snow and things like that. Something you can wipe down. So usually a pretty smooth surface is is best. Um, but you can you can do various things. Um, things that don't stain. Um, I do love bluestone. I like marble and things like that. Those are lovely, but really, practically speaking, even indoors are tricky, but outdoors, I would probably stay away from things like that. So being aware of um, trees, if you have trees on your property, leaves fall down and can stain some materials. So being really careful um, about specification and, and maintenance too, wood tends to require some kind of um, staining or surface coating of some kind where um, a, a number of the manufacturers actually make cabinet doors out of stainless steel, and then you can sort of integrate the look of all the different pieces together. Um, you know, stainless grills, stainless doors, stainless knobs, things like that. So I, I often will use um, their, the, the products from the manufacturers. Um, that is really interesting. Uh, I didn't even think of that. Um, we're gonna, uh, let me ask you one more question before we take a quick break. Um, what about like the kinds of plantings that you do? What are you what are you doing now? Like, what are some of the things that you're planting, you know, in this region, the Mid Atlantic, that maybe you know wasn't happening ten years ago? Because when I, I mean, just from I'm a plant lover. Clearly, you can see my plants behind me. Um, but I really see a change in the kind of plant offerings. And are you able to work with different plants now because plants are hot and people want you know more lush uh, surroundings? Well, trends I'm seeing with plantings are low maintenance. Um, mm -hmm. People, everyone's extremely busy, unless you're a professional gardener or have a, a service of some kind. People want simple, simple things. So mm -hmm. I tend to use um, things that will screen, usually outdoor spaces want to be screened in some way. So hedging material, um, you know, evergreens, very sort of basic things like that. Um, a lot of times in the, in the DC, uh, mid Atlantic region, heat is an issue. So large mm -hmm. stature trees of some kind or a pergola or some kind of shade structure because in July, we all be outdoors and it's usually 100 million degrees out. So um, tree selection is important. I'd say a large stature tree is great. Um, we're always using things like that, but privacy is, is really key, especially these days when everyone's outdoors, mm -hmm. you may have neighbors, you necessarily don't wanna see them every moment of every day. So. I'd say uh, hedging has come back, you know, for a while we were trying to stay away from that because it does require maintenance, but now people say, you know, I, I would like to keep it a little separated out from, from the next door people. So I'd say, I'd say privacy is actually getting back to the, into the mainstream again. Well, sure, because I mean, we can't uh, nude sunbathe if everybody can see us, right? So um, exactly. we'll, we'll keep our privacy. Okay, on that note, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about the very important lighting. Do you ever drive by a house at night and say, oh my God, that house looks so beautiful. I mean, sometimes it's the house, but a lot of it is how well it's lit. So when we come back, we're gonna talk about that. And then we're gonna bring everybody back on together to sort of talk newest trends and what's happening and how uh, you need a team to make it all happen. This is Nikki Nellis, it's Industry Night. Follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be back in just a sec. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. 
Serving up thought for food. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. And we're back on Industry Night with Nikki Nellis on Real Fun DC. We are talking about your outdoor living space, whether you're going to put a kitchen in there, get a landscape architect to help design it, all the fabulous appliances, but it also needs to be well lit. And Reed Libby is joining us. Uh, Reed, um, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into lighting and sprinklers and AV for the backyard. Tell us a little bit about all that. Well, first, thanks for allowing me on the show. I love mm -hmm. podcasts. Uh, it's just, I think, the best way to learn today because no one has time. Mm -hmm. um, so my background is interesting. I'm from Virginia, went to Ohio for to study Spanish, spent time in Chile, spent time in Spain, did some work in finance, did a software startup for two years, and then I worked my way through business school at William Mary doing this company. We started out with irrigation in 2002, and a couple of years later, we got into outdoor lighting. And I was always the math guy, and I never really saw this artistic side in me. And I kind of just went crazy on the, you know, studying the art of outdoor lighting. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, you know, when you talk about landscape and you talk about outdoor living, it starts in like Europe. They're the best at, you know, the cafes, sure. uh, you know, the terraces and the plazas in Italy. But then it's California, and I have spent a ton of time going to California, and one of the pioneers of outdoor lighting is a guy, Nick Mullen, and he's been working at 35 years. He used to own Unique. He sold Unique, and we talk probably every week because he has created more outdoor fixtures in the multi-tap transformer and is just brilliant. He's absolutely mm. brilliant. And um, it's just my passion. You know, I love outdoor lighting. I'm on house all the time looking at different ideas and stealing ideas and always looking at all the manufacturers, like, you know, the appliance industry, outdoor lighting has exploded and so many different types of fixtures are coming out now. It could be different colors. It could be using your iPhone. It could be dimming scenes, integrative music. So it's, it's just a dynamic space and it's technical. And it's also um, involves a lot of labor. So Affordable Lawn Sprinklers has about 60 employees. And, uh, you know, my favorite part of the business is these employees are just great to work with. Well, so I think for people who aren't really aware of what it takes, like you're talking about all these different kinds of lights. I mean, what does that mean? What are, I think of if I were hiring a lighting specialist, I would think, you know, like spotlighting on Robert's beautiful landscaping or lighting up the kitchen area in the outdoor. But it sounds like you're talking about a lot of other things. You know, that's a great question. You know, when I first, when I was in my late 20s and me and my wife bought our first house, the thought of an interior decorator, we could never understand. It just seemed like a ton of money, but mm. some people have an eye for it. And, and a lot of it is just really studying it, reading about it, clipping art. And I think, you know, I probably have done a thousand outdoor lighting jobs mm. and every job you learn, every job, you know, and I work with in this area, some of the top landscape architects, the top interior designers. And so I get to see not just one person's style, I get to see everyone's style, the top of the industry here, I get to integrate with all those people. And so mm -hmm. I just keep learning. I'm a student of the game. Um, well, and in a little bit, we'll talk you know, bring you and Robert in together to talk about how a landscape architect 
because it seems like you really need to work with the architect to 100%. brainstorm how the lighting showcases everything that's been done to its to its best. Um, but you mentioned also while we were off air, um, you said, you know, the, you know, like I was just in California two weeks ago. Um, I was in La Jolla and, um, you know, the house I stayed at didn't have grass. It had fake grass. And I was like, that looks good. I would like that yeah. instead of what I have. So what is that coming to the East Coast? Well, you know, I had a beautiful lawn uh, for eight years. And mm -hmm. since 2018, my backyard's a mud pit. And every mm -hmm. time we let my dog out, he would come back muddy as can be. My kids, you know, I moved to this big lot in Arlington because I imagine like everyone, our kids playing in the backyard, but they wouldn't because it was a mud pit. So mm -hmm. I put in turf for my own house this year, and now my house is the playground. Every day I have 10 kids in my backyard on the trampoline, playing, having fun. So what is it? What is it? Is it it's dry? <laughs> it's dry. I know, but is it plastic? What no, is it's, it? it's come, that's a great question. So it's come so far. Is Okay, uh, can I just interrupt you for a second? You've course. been on You've been on this show for almost 45 minutes. If you haven't figured out that I am full of great questions, I, I almost cannot help you at this point. But anyway, okay, so tell me so what, what you turf is turf because is you, I want it. You excavate about four inches of soil and that's why it can be a little expensive. And then you bring in about three to four inches of rock and then you put down this turf and you can pick out the height, you can pick out the thickness and you can pick out the color. And if you look at it, the pictures are beautiful. And it, it looks, I try and make mine look like tall fescue from this area. Okay. And if you look out in the middle of winter, it looks like your yard in May. So it does look different, but I happen to like that. Okay, so wait a second. Do you have to mow it? Nothing. Nothing? And you let your dog on it? Yes, we put this uh, deodorized sand in it and we put irrigation around it. And you know what happens is in the summer, if they urinate on the turf, and it's really hot, it will smell, but the deodorized sand with the rinsing of the irrigation, no problems. Oh my God, we're gonna talk after the show, I'm fascinated. <laughs> okay, so let's uh, bring everybody in for a panel discussion, if you'll all uh, turn off your mutes, please. So um, Robert, you're like the, the linchpin here. Like you have to work with everybody to make beautiful landscapes happen, right? Beautiful outdoor living happen. So can you tell us like, when you sit with a client, how do you work with a Jessica and how do you work with a Reed and, and how do you bring your vision and therefore your client's vision to, to life? Well, the way I generally would do it was, would be to sit with my client first and sort of go through their program what do you want to see out of your property? You know, we talk about how large it is, how many children you have, do you have um, special needs regarding accessibility? Um, you know, how do we how do we create the most um, beautiful area that you'll use proactively? You know, every day or almost every day. Then we will go through the different elements. You know, is there a pool? Is there a faux lawn element? Is there an outdoor kitchen? Is there a pergola? Or is there a pool house? You know, various things. And then I work with my specialist then once the client has generally signed off on the, the look and the scale and general budget, maybe. And we say, okay, based on that, what do we need? You know, working with someone like Reed, we'd say, okay, we, we have an area in the back that is going to be heavily trafficked. There's a, a play set or a dog uh, on the property. 
and we need an area of faux, of faux turf. And um, how, you know, what kind of, what's that going to look like? Um, you know, is it going to be the, the material you're talking about that is bright green all year? And some people love that. Some people say, I want to have like a little disguised area. I want it to look natural and we'll put it back here. We need this many square feet. And he can sort of specify things like that. Jessica is sort of the same in the sense where I would say, you know, the client is a big griller. They always, you know, they want the top of the line. They, they want every attachment. You can imagine rotisserie, everything. Um, you know, what do you have that will fit in this space? Or what do you have that, you know, is a, is a pizza oven that will, you know, cook salmon for a, a party of 25 people? And um, then they really help me because I don't, again, I'm not an expert on all these things. So I mm -hmm. really rely on the people who do know the details to say, steer me in the right direction. You know, do we, do we want gas fired? Uh, do we want a gas fired pizza oven or do we want a wood fire? And if we have space, mm -hmm. the time allows and the client is interested in that. Um, lighting the same thing. Um, we've all been to spaces at night and we say, oh my God, this is so different than it was, you know, you know an hour ago. And um, certainly with outdoor entertaining, light's very important. Safety is important, make, making sure the ground plane is lit, if there are steps need to be lit, um, and also aesthetics. So things like trees, um, down lighting, um, you know, are you going to be reading out there? Are you going to be dining? Um, you know, what sort of activity? So I can coordinate um, the center of the, the process. You know, what does the client want? I translate that and then I require you know, I tell the requirements to, to the specialist and they help me really specify the details. Well, Reed, let me ask you a question because now it's come up twice, irrigation. How, like, Robert designs this beautiful outdoor space, not just the kitchen area with all these fabulous appliances, but plantings and et cetera. What is the best way for people to keep all that stuff alive? Are there different irrigation systems? What is your recommendation on that? Every job is different and I will not bid a job without seeing the site. I want to see where the sun is. I want to know the soil. I want to know shade. I want to know slope. I want to know the plants. I want to know the, you know, what, what is the staging? Is the sod going to go in the same time as a shrub? Because all these things affect how you're going to water things. Mm -hmm. uh, with the climate we've had in the last three years, we go from tons of water to no water. And the right. extremes are really hard with this type of, uh, Native plants are different today. Uh, so it's it's a very customized job. Uh, where we used to put in 10 zones, now I put in 14 zones because I'll start saying, well, this area is shady or these annuals need water, but just two minutes and these shrubs need it once a week. So every job is custom. And some years it's an insurance policy that you don't use. And some mm -hmm. years you would lose tens of thousands of dollars because you didn't have it. So that's that's, you know, one of my things I learned early was my client was 55 and he says, I always waited to the end of uh, my time with the house when I finally had finished everything and they wait 10 years to get the sprinkler system and then they sell the house. Right. And so when I meet with people that just move in, they're overwhelmed and they're buying so many things, but I'm like, buy the things that are going to make your life easier. They're going to use for the whole time you're here mm -hmm. and maybe wait on the 600 or $800 dining room table. You're not going to use our, our chair. You know, right. you can it's spend really, $10,000 in a dining room and not go in there once. Yeah, it's very, very good advice. Um, and I appreciate that. Uh, Jessica, I mean, we were talking about so many different things. Um, I think what I'd like to do right now, because um, we have a little bit of time left, is I'd like for everybody to sort of talk about two or three like dreamlike items that are out there right now that you're like, if I had all the money in the world, 
this is what I would spend. And then maybe one thing, like if you don't have all the money in the world, you should, this should be, you know, this is what I would recommend. Jessica? Oh, wow. <laughs> this Hi. is a very, very loaded question. I know. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, okay. I would like right now, I would do the 42 inch built-in Lynx grill. Um, their pro sear grill, it has an infrared sear station area. It has a built-in rotisserie. You have, with, with an infrared rotisserie burner, um, it has a smoker box. It really is, it's built of three, um, it's built of um, marine grade stainless steel. It's not going to rust on you. It's really a well-made product. I, I, would in, I would invest in a really high quality grill that's going to last you for years to come. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're looking to add something to your, to your outdoor space and you're kind of debating between refrigerators and like all these different storage solutions and different things, um, as somebody that doesn't have this, I really recommend it to everybody. And it is an outdoor sink and faucet. If you are gonna be cooking outside, absolutely invest in some way to be able to wash your hands while you're prepping and handling meats and um, you know, bringing your hose all the way over to where you're cooking your outdoor meal is not the prettiest sight, but I do. Um, so I would definitely recommend, like, obviously there are a bunch of amazing appliances, but definitely make sure you have a functional cleanup zone also. I think that is excellent, excellent advice. I, I mean, you just brought up things that people don't think about when they're putting it together. I mean, that's, that's why you're the expert. Um, Robert, what about for you? What are you, like, what's the trend that you're like, I want this in every, I know you do something, curate something totally different for each client, yada, yada, yada. But what is something that you're like, I love this. And if I could, I would put it in everybody's yard. Well, uh, sort of going off of what Jessica said, um, once you're sort of out there, you've taken your, your wonderful steaks out and you have, you know, you've washed your hands. Um, I think everyone wants a drink. So having a great uh, a wine storage cooler, I think is really great. Um, oftentimes what people don't think of is that they say, oh, well, we're so close to the kitchen. We're, we're really close to the kitchen with this anyway, so I don't need to get another one. I don't need another refrigerator. You'd be surprised how far it is to go to the kitchen when you have guests. Um, mm -hmm. So something where you can sort of quickly pull something out and hand it over, I think is always wonderful. Um, I, I, I usually specify um, a refrigerator also because too, if you think of just the general layout of an outdoor kitchen, you're mounting a grill on top and you're always gonna have some kind of volume underneath. So having storage of some kind, having either an ice maker, which is also great, or a refrigerator is always helpful and it fills the space underneath and it's just practical to have, I think. Excellent, I want, I want all of it. Um, okay, and Reed, what about, I mean, Reed, you've already sold me on the turf. Like ding, box checked. Uh, but for lighting, it's, I mean, everybody's got those like bistro lights out there, which I know are purely decorative, um, but darling, and I mean, I have them too, but is there anything happening lighting wise that's new and hot that you're, I know you also just like everybody here, you do specifics to the client, but is there anything that you're really hot for right now? I would actually tweak your question. I would say what I want is I, want, I, I believe in being active outside and not going in a house, especially with kids. So like she said, the storage, the, 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 the sink, you know, the grill, 
the fake turf, just get everyone outside. You bring over three family friends, kids are playing cornhole over there, they're playing bocce, you guys are sitting at next to a fireplace, someone else is cooking, the drinks are there, the wine's there, and it's just, don't give anyone an excuse to get inside. Keep it all outside and keep it up and keep it active and keep music. Like music makes the scene, it makes it festive. Oh, right. We didn't even get into the speakers. I mean, it is amazing that we've been on air for 45 minutes and um, I feel like there's still so much more that we can discuss, uh, but I only have so much time. So I'm going to ask each of you to please uh, tell everybody where they can find you uh, online. If you are on social media, please give your uh, Instagram handle um, and then I'll wrap up the show. So Jessica, where can they find you and AJ Madison? They can find us at AJ Madison or AJMadison.com. Excellent. And uh, Reed, where can we find you? Affordable Lawn Sprickers, and it will be that same handle on Instagram, Facebook, house, everything. Excellent. And Robert, where can we find you? Um, I'm BellDesignInc.net, and I'm BellDesignInc uh, at Instagram as well. Excellent. Well, I want to thank um, all three of you for joining me. I, this was really fascinating. Uh, so thank you for your time. I know how busy you all are. That was such an incredible panel. Um, I really appreciate everybody's time, as I said. And uh, I have so many things I want to do in my backyard now. So I hope you two were inspired to uh, take your outdoor space to the next level. And while some of the things we discussed are kind of pricey, not everything is. You can really get ideas from what we talked about today and execute it yourself. Or maybe you hire an architect to sort of design it for you and then you uh, do it. So there's different ways to do things. That's, that's where my head's at because I want all of it and I have to figure out how to do it because I don't have unlimited funds. So I do wanna thank everybody again for joining me today on Industry Night on Real Fun DC. Um, please remember uh, to check out Chef Stopping, uh, AAPI Hate, Kevin Tien's fundraiser, don't forget about Danny Lee's funder, uh, fundraiser um, for the same cause, but uh, charity is Embrace Race, an amazing charity. Um, and uh, check out the people who I had on today. They're doing incredible things. And that outdoor space is the new living space. So follow me at NYCCI, N-E-L-L-I-S on Facebook. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, and don't forget to check out the list, areyouhonest.com and Foodie and the Beast on Sundays at 11 on 1500. Everybody, please, we are not done yet with this pandemic. We're closed. But if you haven't been vaccinated, do what you can to get vaccinated. Please wear your mask, even if you are vaccinated, because that's not going away. Wash your hands or hand sanitize and be safe out there. We'll see you next week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Real Fun DC.